Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Ladies Promoting Transparent Advocacy Podcast. I am your podcast host, Shay Pate. It is fantastic, fellas, Friday. And the amazing man that I want to introduce to you guys, which many of you already know who he is, is a young man that is just amazing, Ibram X. Kendi. Dr. Kendi, wow, 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 is all I can say about him. And the reason why I said that is because there is just so much information about him out there. So what I decided to do was go to his, I found out he had a website that talks about him and he has a bio on his website. So I thought the best thing to do would be read the bio in his own words. But there is a phrase he has on his uh, webpage that I wanted to read right off the bat, because as you know, he's known for teaching anti-racist. He has a statement that's, quote, being an anti-racist requires persistent self-awareness, constant self-criticism, and regular self-examination. So keep that in mind. And I love how he explains the difference between anti-racist and not being racist. So I want to read his bio on himself that's on his website. And it says that Ibram X. Kendi is one of America's foremost historians and leading anti-racist scholars. He is a National Book Award winner and a number one New York Times bestselling author of seven books. Kendi is the Andrew W. Mellon Professor in the Humanities and the founding director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. Kendi is a contributor writer at The Atlantic and a CBS News racial justice contributor. He is also the 2020 to 2021 Francis B. Cashin Fellow at the Radcliffe Institute for the Advanced Study at Harvard University. And he is also the 20, well, one of the 2020 uh, Time Magazine named, let me go back. In 2020, Time Magazine named him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. You're going to hear from different interviews how influential he is, especially with the interview with Stephen Colbert. And we're talking about relatives of uh, uh, Stonewall Jackson and the godson of David Duke, which you'll hear later. Now, this man has done so many things, and I've been wanting to for so many weeks do an episode on him because I keep seeing him all over the place. And I kept saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it later. And then it was funny. I turned on the television and he has a new book that was released February 2nd, 2021. And it's called 400 Souls, a Community History of African America from 1619 to 2019. And when I was listening to it, they were showing him with a co-author. She's uh, called a co-editor. 
And when I found out she taught at the University of Pittsburgh, I think that was God's way of telling me, go on and do the story on this young man. So I want to give a quick shout out to her. Her name is, um, she's a historian as well. Her name is Keisha Blaine, and she co-edited the book with Dr. Kendi. And Keisha Blaine is, um, in her own rights, uh, pretty popular. She, in addition to being an author and a historian, she is an award-winning historian. She's a professor and a writer, and she's currently an associate professor of history at the University of Pittsburgh. And she's the president of the African-American Intellectual History Society and an editor for the Washington Post Made by History section. Now, in doing research on the current book that the two of them wrote, I went on Amazon's book page to see what the review on the book is. And someone named Kirkus Kirkus Reviews, I don't know who that is, but here's what Amazon said about the book. It says, this engrossing collection is divided into 10 parts, each covering 40 years, and each part ends with a poem that captures the essence of the preceding essays. The brief but powerful essays feature lesser-known people, places, ideas, and events, as well as fresh, closer looks at the transatlantic slave trade, the Harlem Renaissance, Brown versus Board of Education, the Black Power Movement, the War on Drugs, Hurricane Katrina, voter suppression, and other staples of Black American history and experience. So you guys, you have to check out the new book. But I want you all to enjoy this episode because this man is amazing. He was all over TV and I didn't even know Netflix Jr. had a, I don't know if it's a, a subscription or whatever, but there is a person that's going to read and you'll hear it in the episode on Netflix Jr., one of his books called Anti-Racist Baby. Now, that's pretty deep, but you got to pay attention to what they're saying. And it sounds like he's trying to catch them at a young age to uh, try to get them to be anti-racist. So I just wanted to give an introduction to him and he's going to do the rest. I just want you guys to sit back, relax and enjoy this amazing man. Before we get started, though, I do want to give my disclaimer regarding audio. As I always mention, when you're getting um, interviews from people, there's so much involved in podcasts and it's just not recording and put out there. And a lot of the interviews, you have to keep in mind, they're done via Skype or WebEx or something else. And the audio with the interview with Stephen Colbert, you'll hear Dr. Kendi have vibration in his voice. And that's because of his microphone being placed on the top of his collar. So you'll hear it. it's exact same interview, but Stephen is a little clearer and you'll hear vibration with Dr. Kendi. And ironically, when Trevor Noah interviews Dr. Kendi, it's reversed. Dr. Kendi is clear and Trevor has the microphone in the same position, like right under his chin. So you'll hear a little vibration. So I have to always give my disclaimer. And I always tell you, go and find the exact 
same audio and you'll hear it's not my equipment. It is actually the audio from the recording of the interviews. So I have to always give my disclaimer because as I keep learning, I always make sure I learn to try to give the best clarity. And I'm still doing my own engineering, of course. So I am really, really um, excited about the contents and hope that you can still understand the message, which is the goal. So enjoy, Dr. Kendi. So my name is Ibram X. Kendi, and I'm the author of, of How to Be an Anti-Racist. And this book really seeks to show that the contrast is actually not between racist and not racist, but the contrast is between racist and anti-racist. What I think many people who self-identify as, as not racist don't realize is that really over the course of, of history, nearly every group of people that we actually consider to be racist have also identified as, 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 as not racist, whether that's white supremacists today or segregationists of, of yesterday. And so really, each of us should be striving to be anti-racist, not necessarily striving to be not racist, because really that's a term primarily of denial. And it's a term really that doesn't have much meaning. But it does mean something to be racist. When, when someone says that there's something wrong with a racial group, they're being racist. When, when someone says there's nothing wrong with any of the racial groups, they're being anti-racist. When, when someone supports policies that create and reproduce racial inequity, they're being racist. When someone supports policies that yield and create racial equity, they're being an anti-racist. And these aren't necessarily identities or, or fixed categories or tattoos. Literally, what we're doing in each moment determines who, who and what we are in each moment. And people change from moment to moment and, and from year to year. And I think we should identify people based on what they're saying and doing because no one ever becomes racist or even anti-racist. <laughs> Hi, I'm Riley Dyer. Welcome to Bookmark, celebrating Black voices. Anti-Racist Baby is a book that provides simple steps we can all use to be anti-racist and teach others how to be anti-racist. Anti-Racist Baby, which is written by Ibram X. Kendi and illustrated by Ashley Lukashevsky, will be read by actor and activist Kendrick Sampson. What up, y'all? My name is Kendrick Sampson, and I'm going to be reading Anti-Racist Baby. Anti-Racist Baby is bred, not born. Anti-Racist Baby is raised to make society transform. Babies are taught to be racist or anti-racist. There's no neutrality. Take these nine steps to make equity a reality. Number one, open your eyes to all skin colors. Anti-racist baby learns all the colors, not because race is true. If you claim to be colorblind, you deny what's right in front of you. Number two, Use your words to talk about race. No one will see racism if we only stay silent. If we don't name racism, 
it won't stop being so violent. Number three, point at policies as the problem, not the people. Some people get more while others get less because policies don't always grant equal access. Number four, shout. There's nothing wrong with the people. Even though all races are not treated the same, we are all human, anti-racist baby can proclaim. Number five, celebrate all our differences. We got celebration. Do a look. Celebration. Anti-racist baby doesn't see certain groups as better or worse. Anti-racist baby loves a world that's truly diverse. Number six, knock down the stack of cultural block. But knock, knock them down. Anti-racist baby appreciates how groups speak dance create as they choose anti-racist baby welcomes all groups voicing their unique views number seven confess when being racist nothing disrupts racism more than when we confess the racist ideas that we sometimes express number eight grow to be an anti-racist anti-racist baby is always learning changing and growing anti-racist baby stays curious about people and isn't all knowing number nine believe we shall overcome racism anti-racist baby is filled with the power to transcend my friend and doesn't judge a book by its cover but reads until the end now what are some of the things you can do to be anti-racist all right y'all peace Born with it, adorn with it, a gift to the world, go give it. Fearlessly made, no need to be afraid. Angels, I'm with you, the path is laid. I enjoyed this interview on Stephen Colbert because they talk about his high school, which is called Stonewall Jackson High School. And the great great grandson of Stonewall Jackson is one of the people who is trying to get the name of the school named after Dr. Kennedy. So, how powerful and influential is that? If someone known as a racist, their grands, excuse me, their great great grandson is in favor of taking their name off the school and putting your name on it. And also, he talks about a story where David Dukes, where you know, if you're, you don't have to be from Louisiana or the South to know who he is. He's been known for many years as the leader of the Ku Klux Klan. His godson named Derek is a person that was introduced to Dr. Kendi's books about anti-racist. And lo and behold, he's now anti-racist. So I'm sure his godfather is very disappointed. But check out the interview with Stephen Colbert. Back, everybody. My first guest tonight is an historian and the best-selling author of How to Be an Anti-Racist 
and stamped from the beginning. Please welcome Professor Ibram X. Kendi. Professor Kendi, thanks for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, now, you're America's leading scholar on anti-racism, and your 2019 book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, is currently a number one nonfiction uh, bestseller. What's the difference between being not racist and being anti-racist? Well, historically, whenever people are challenged for saying and doing something that's racist, typically their response is, I'm not racist. No matter what they just said, no matter what they just did, by contrast, someone who is striving to be anti-racist is actually willing to admit the times in which they express racist ideas. They're willing to admit the times in which they sort of support racist policies because they're in a process of changing. They're changing themselves. They're seeking to change society. They're not necessarily in denial like many Americans who claim they're not racist. Well, I, 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 like, I like that framing of, of the conversation because I, like I'm sure many of Americans, have examined their conscience, especially over the last four weeks, and said, I, I'm, I am a white American. I've benefited from our, our racist systemic racism in our society, and I can't say honestly that I don't uh, have any racism, um, but but the reframe that you put it uh, allows uh, a hope for change. Well, I mean, and humans have the capacity to change, and, and I think we have to allow for that. And the question is always, and I think with anything, when, when someone diagnoses us, when somebody explains that we have some sort of problem, the question I think for all of us is, are we going to deny that problem? Are we going to deny that addiction even? Or are we going to admit it and then begin the process of changing ourselves, healing ourselves, so that we can change and heal this country? And another thing I like about the way you've done this is that, you know, while uh, uh, not a racist and anti-racist both might be described as an identity, anti-racist implies action. Oh, it does. And, and really, I'm not racist is an identity. Because typically, a people person believes that's who they are, and and for somebody who's being anti-racist, it's not it's it's more so what they're being based on what they're saying and, and what they're doing. And so, anti-racists know that if they're expressing that the racial groups are equals, they're being anti-racist. If they're challenging racist policies, they're being anti-racist. So you actually have to do something and, and be something in order to be anti-racist. Can you be both racist and anti-racist at the same time? Because I'll give you an example. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. That is baldly an anti-racist statement written by a racist man. And even that statement. So you had some people who at the time believed that we were all created equal, which was an anti-racist idea. But then they also believe, let's say, black and even native people became inferior on earth. In other words, their cultures are inferior. They are inferior because of their environment. So we were all equal to begin with, but as a result of the cultures of black people or even native people, they're inferior right now. I have a question about the history of racism. Is what we think of as racism a modern, and I mean 500 years old, a modern European colonial idea that is merely a subset of inequality, or has there always been some form of racial discrimination? 
So for a very long time, you can look into the into antiquity and see sexism and see ethnocentrism uh, and see obvious religious persecution. But racism is a modern phenomenon. The concept of race, Black Africa, Native America, even white Europe, is a modern phenomenon that largely comes out of the slave trade, largely comes out of colonialism and, and, and slavery. So why did that, if there have always been sort of like, you know, man's inhumanity to man, why did that, did the sort of the economic um, desire to exploit Africans lead to the justification of it through racism? Exactly. And so, in other words, really the, 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 really the core, the heart, the cradle of, of racism is, is self-interest. In other words, I want to slave trade or enslave African people, even Native people. And so, therefore, I'm going to create policies that make all these different ethnic groups, one people, one people worthy of enslavement. And then I'm going to argue that these people are inferior. They're savage people. So, so therefore, they should be enslaved. They should be driven from their land that I'm supposedly civilizing. So you see, the self-interest has led to the racist policies, and the racist policies have led to the racist ideas. And then people believe that these peoples were barbaric and savages, which then made them ignorant well, we may not always have had racism as we perceive it, but humans have always had self-interest. How can how can you how can we make it so that being anti-racist is in your self-interest? Well, I think for the vast majority of Americans, being anti-racist or creating a more equitable society is actually in their self-interest. And and I think that, for instance, white Americans are, are constantly thinking about what they would lose with a radical sort of renovation uh, of, of this country, of, its, of this country's policies, as opposed to what they would gain. So they're too quick to compare themselves to people of color, as opposed to comparing themselves to what people in other Western democracies have. And then the question is, why don't we have paid family leave in the United States? Why don't everyone have access to free health care? Why is there so much income inequality and one of the reasons you can point to is is racism and people being constantly manipulated to sort of supporting policies and policymakers against their own self-interest by racist ideas and, and the, the cudgel of the welfare queen being used to destroy the idea of any sort of social safety net that sort of i saw you know growing up in the 1980s exactly and it was a social safety net that wasn't just helping black women or black people it was helping all Americans, all Americans who, who of course, at times are going to fall and, and need a, a safety net to catch them, to lift them back up. There was nothing wrong with that. Now, um, you say that racist and anti-racist are not fixed identities. Um, you got an amazing example of someone who's clearly steeped in racism, who has become an active anti-racist. Tell the story of um, the David Duke's godson. Oh yeah, a few years ago I had the pleasure of meeting um, Derek Black. Derek Black is the, the son of Don Black. Don Black created the website Stormfront. He was really one of the major sort of progenitors of the white nationalist movement and really groomed his son, Derek, to become like one of the leaders of, of the white nationalist movement, to really become like a Richard Spencer. But when Derek Black went to college, he started, some of his friends took him to the side and, and started challenging some of his, his ideas. 
And ultimately, he began changing. I understand he read one of my books along the way and many other books on, on racism. And now he's someone who's striving to be anti-racist. So someone who is raised to lead the white nationalist movement is now striving to be anti-racist. Um, one of the changes going on right now, one of the cultural changes, like monuments being pulled down, perhaps changing the names of army bases that are named after Confederate generals. I have found out that your high school, you went to Stonewall Jackson High School in Virginia, and there was a petition, over 30,000 signatures, to rename that the Ibram X. Kendi High School. And I know this doesn't come from you, but this is happening. How did this come about, and, and how do you feel about that? Well, well, I think, obviously, I'm happy that they're finally changing the name of my high school since it was named after a Confederate general. But I understand people are pushing for this. And one of the people who are pushing for it, I understand, is the great-great-grandson of, of Stonewall Jackson, uh, who, you know, I think is really, you know, a class act for Christian. He's really showing that we are really not bound by our ancestors, just like we're not bound by the past history of this country's racism. We can create a different type of country that's going to really respect and value black lives and, and the lives of people of color. Now, you've also released another book called Anti-Racist Baby. Why did you decide to write a book about anti-racism uh, for, for babies? Well, I mean, I, I first and foremost have a, a very young daughter, and I, I wanted to have a tool for her. I mean, I know that six months the babies are already seeing race. I know at two years old, some children are already consuming or believing in racist ideas and discerning who to play with based on a kid's skin color. And I also know that many parents believe their kids are colorblind. And whether their, their kids are anything but, according to the studies. And, and we should be teaching our kids about racism and being anti-racist even before they can fully understand what that means. Just like we teach them what it means to be kind, what it means to love. These are sophisticated concepts, kindness and love, and what we teach our kids early because we value being kind and, and loving, and we should value being anti-racist. And the earlier we teach our kids to be anti-racist, the better. Now, as I said, you're, you're, you're a leading voice against racism in the United States. Your wife is an ER doctor at a children's hospital in D.C. She's fighting COVID on the front lines. What gives the two of you hope? Because you're both part of a present vital struggle. Well, I think for, for, for us, I think what, what gives us hope is that you have to believe change is, is, is possible in order to bring it about. And so when she diagnoses a, a young child who has a serious illness, she believes that that kid, that that child can be healed. She has to believe it, right? Like doctors have to believe that. Just like when I diagnose America as, as racist, when I say that even America has stage four metastatic racism, I still believe that, that America can, can, can fight against the odds and, and still heal itself. Well, um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, uh, thanks for the message. Thanks for the hope. And thanks for the example. Of course, yeah, thank you so much. Anti-Racist Baby and Stamp Racism, Anti-Racism and You are both available now. Ibram X. Candy, everybody. So check out the interview he's doing with Trevor Noah. And I really do remind you that the vibration from Trevor is because of where his microphone is. 
So um, hopefully you can hear clarity to understand what the conversation is about. Professor Kendi, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. It's great to be back on the show. Um, yeah, it's good to be back for you. But technically, the last time I saw you was in the studio. A lot has changed since then. I mean, not just the fact that people are at home, but the fact that America has seen so many changes. And yet, some may argue America has seen so much more of the same. Your book rose to the New York Times bestsellers list um, during the protests. And what, what many people gravitated to in your work was how you laid steps out for people to engage in anti-racism. Tell me a little bit more about that. And firstly, why you felt it was necessary to lay out the steps and the tools that people could use and why it's so important to be anti-racist as opposed to just not being racist. When racial inequity and injustice is normal, if you do nothing, what's going to happen to that normality? It's, it's going to persist. And, and so I, I really wanted to encourage people to actively challenge racism, but also to, to realize there's a direct opposite to notions of racial hierarchy. And that's notions of racial equality, which are anti-racist ideas. There, there's a direct opposite to policies that lead to or maintain racial inequity. And that's anti-racist policy. So, so we can be creating a different type of America with different types of policies and different type of ideas. A lot of people love your work because you delve into the past and you tie it to the present. This project is really special because you are editing a book about the history of being African-American. And yet, instead of just looking at it through the lens of one person, one author, one storyteller, you've gone with multiple stories. Just everyone from every walk of life who fought for black freedom in America, from the slave trade all the way through to the current day. Tell me why you thought you could retell a story that has been told so many times in a different way. Why did you think, I'll jump on this project to edit this book? Well, I mean, with the 400th anniversary or birthday of, of, of Black America approaching, I think we wanted to figure out a new way to tell Black, Black America's history. We wanted a new way to commemorate this moment. You know, one of the oldest racist ideas is this idea that we're a monolith, um, that, that there is not incredible diversity within Black America. And, and also, African-American history has traditionally been written by a man, oftentimes a Black man. And so I think with those two things, we really wanted to bring together a community to write the history of a community, an extremely diverse community. And I think that's one of the things we're most proud about in terms of this book, just the diversity of blackness within the book and even the ordinary and extraordinary characters we, 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 we share. When you look at those stories, do you ever wonder what your dream is for the end goal? Sometimes I'll be talking to friends who'll say, what is like your definition of white privilege? And I say, just for me personally, I go, for me, white privilege is you have the opportunity to fail on your behalf and succeed on your behalf and your behalf alone. You know, if a white man launches a rocket to the moon, that's what he did. You know, if a white man shoots up a school, that's what he did. If a black person launches a rocket to the moon, then, I mean, these niggas be launching rockets. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I, I, I wonder what your idea is as a professor who studies race. What are, you, what are you hoping that we get to? What place do you hope to see us achieve? Well, it's, 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 it's ironic you, you speak about that individuality. 
because I think in the introduction to 400 Souls, I wrote about how we're not able as black people to be individuals, right? Um, and, and so certainly for me, that would be an end goal. But, but I also think, you know, justice, um, you know, equal justice, you know, for all peoples, you know, just something as simple as when I see a member of public safety or police officer or whatever we would have in the future, I don't feel scared, right. <laughs> you know, when I haven't done anything wrong, I'm not going to, to, to certainly feel scared or, or something like I walk into a, a place to, to apply for a job and I don't have to look twice at what I'm wearing, how I'm going to speak, because that's not really going to matter, you know, especially if, um, you know, I have the qualifications. I've always wondered, uh, you know, when I traveled the world, I was, you know, I'd, I'd be lucky enough, my comedy would take me to different countries. I was always intrigued by how black people specifically would be treated differently when they were not the black of that country. You know, like black Americans would come to South Africa and oftentimes, whether it was shopkeepers or, you know, just people in the street, they'd be like, oh, you, you're a black American. Very, very different. And sometimes even Africans from other African countries would come and be treated differently. The same I would notice in America. Is, is there something in the story of race that is also tied to the history of how the country has treated the people of that race in the country? I, I think so. I, I think race and racism is simultaneously global and national. In, in other words, you can see similar uh, trends across the world, but each of those trends, each of those policies, and each of those racial constructions are distinct to the nation. But what's also consistent is pretty much every nation in the world argues that they're not racist <laughs> towards <laughs> black people. Yeah, you see that across the board. Um, whether it's, you know, the South African apartheid government or, or the, through to the U.S., no matter who it is, people go like, no, 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 we're not racist. We just do these racist things to these people. There's there's a new administration in the White House. Many people feel like this is a new opportunity for America. Joe Biden has said on multiple occasions that racism is going to be at the forefront of his agenda, which has drawn him a lot of criticism. What would you hope that he would do, actually do, that could move America forward in achieving that racial equality? Well, one thing he's doing with the coronavirus is he's he continues to say that he's going to put science before politics. And so as it relates to racial inequity and injustice, if he was to put silence, science before politics, if he was to essentially look at what scholars are saying, how we can elicit eliminate inequities and injustices, how we can reduce or eliminate police, not necessarily be as concerned about white swing voters or even Republican mm -hmm. voters, then I think he would be able to make some serious advances in rooting out racism. But the, the fact of the matter is, is the irony is the very folks who support racist policies that drive us apart through inequities, who support racist policies that maintain racial injustice that causes people to be killed by police, which then leads to mass demonstrations, are the very people trying to claim we're divisive, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the, that's, the, that's the fundamental, you know, fallacy. We want to, equality brings people together last time. Right. Well, I will say this, um, it will always be a journey. Uh, it will always be a challenging one. 
but having somebody like you and people like you who are writing some of the most amazing works to uh, help us figure it all out, uh, I think helps every single day. So thank you so much for joining us on the show again. Thank you for editing this amazing piece of work, and I hope to see you again. Thank you so much, Robert. As always, I hope the information you get from these episodes are informative. And as I always say, you can go online and do your own research. And a lot of the clips that I play, of course, you can find them. But what I try to do is put them all together regarding a specific topic or conversation so you don't have to go everywhere. But as I mentioned on every episode, I always list my sources, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, or on my Podbean hosting app. So I always ask that you do your research and definitely, definitely reach out if you have any questions or comments. With that being said, I'd like to ask you to follow us on Twitter at Advocacy Ladies. That's capital A as in Advocacy, capital L as in Ladies. And you can always give us a call at 404-855-7723. You can send us an email at podcast host shaypate19 at gmail.com and don't forget we are on all the apps including apple itunes google play pandora spotify and alexa tune in and of course podbean which is my hosting app set your notifications so that you can get notified as soon as i publish the episodes And then that way you can stay current on what I am talking about. So as we continue to celebrate Black History Month, I'd like to say definitely have a safe weekend. It is actually Super Bowl weekend. So try to social distancing, excuse me, try to social distance while you're enjoying the game because I want to make sure that you survive this COVID And just having a small get-together is not worth your life. So, anyway, I like to end my episode, as always, with the question, what do you have to say? Thank you for listening.